0: Oh my God, how great was the Girl Boss rally this weekend? It was so good. If you guys weren't there, you can still get digital tickets at g.media. But first, we're going to talk about Ship Station. Oh man, ShipStation has been such an incredible partner to Girl Boss Radio, making it possible for us to do this show and providing an incredible tool for all of the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs-to-be who have to ship their products and want to do it with ease and quickness. So if you don't know about ShipStation.com, it's an amazing tool to help you manage and ship your orders all from one place you can create shipping labels with all of the top carriers from your cell phone UPS, USPS, FedEx they'll find you the best rates and all of your orders end up in one beautiful easy to use interface so whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy or another popular selling channel ShipStation makes it possible for you to do this with ease and right now you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our exclusive promo code Girlboss. Don't wait go to ShipStation.com and before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in girlboss that's s-h-i-p-s-t-a-t-i-o-n dot com enter girlboss ship station make ship happen success it's such a complicated idea and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Aurora James is still relatively new to the fashion scene, but she's already accomplished more than most designers. Born in Toronto and based in Brooklyn, Aurora James dreamed up the idea for her fashion line, Brother Valleys, on a backpacking trip through Africa in her 20s. She launched her fashion brand in 2013, and by 2015, she had already earned the prestigious CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund Award.
1: For me at that moment, I was like, wow, like, I actually, like, took this idea, took these different things that people in Africa were making and believed in their, like, original artistry and craft And got it to be legitimized by the fashion community. And for me, that was like the goal. Because I just believed that what they were making was so amazing.
0: And now she produces the most chic shoes and accessories made by local artisans in communities in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Morocco creating and sustaining jobs in Africa and employing cooperatives of women who specialize in shoemaking with natural materials.
1: I obviously, you know, do a ton of production in Africa, which is really important to me. Our number one selling shoe is a Burkina sandal and it's hand woven by women in Ethiopia who like actually made the thread that they're using to weave and vegetable dyed, like all the colors with like different flowers and, and all that jazz. And Actually, it's woven in Burkina Faso. And then the fabric is sent to Ethiopia where the women construct the sandals and then they come to New York where I then sell them.
0: Today, Aurora makes regular trips around the globe, traveling to villages throughout Africa and designing many of the shoes and accessories from a treehouse in Kenya. Through her work, she's learned a thing or two about collaboration, tradition, and personal development, which she'll share with us today.
1: Even in your busiest work moments, taking a time out and like talking to your friends when they're going through whatever they're going through and putting all of your work stuff on hold, even if it's like the sky is almost falling and knowing that like at the end of the day, your friends are like what's so important to you and to know that you like support them in those moments. And that's like more important than like some production problem that you're having.
0: But first, I'm here with Jericho Mandibur, editorial director at Girlboss.com and owner of My Favorite Hair Ever.
1: Hi. Hey, Jericho. How's it
0: going? Good. How fun was our trip to New York? It was so much fun. How great of a feeling is it to have, oh my God, over 500 incredible women in
2: one room talking about what matters today? So inspiring. I'm still getting over it. What was your favorite part? Literally seeing everybody just gathered in one place, like you say, like the attendees are so, so inspiring and so ambitious. And I've just never been anywhere like that before. And we announced something really exciting. The Boss Foundation winners? We did. The most
0: recent recipients of the Girl Boss Foundation grant of $15,000 are New Women's Space, which if you don't follow them on Instagram is at New Women's Space. And tell me, what do you know about them? Or what do we need to know about New Women's Space? And why did we choose them for the grant?
2: They're a space that's really, really dedicated to putting on inclusive community events and supporting local businesses and getting people together, basically. Um, It's really democratic, really creative, super fun, and anyone can kind of get involved. So they really just want to give back. And they're super cool, and the events that they put on are really, really interesting and fun. I want to
0: talk about Pinterest. This partnership we're doing with Pinterest is so exciting. Jericho, do you want to tell us how it works?
2: Sophia, when you think about dreaming big, when you think of getting inspiration, what do you think of? I go to Pinterest. Oh my God, good answer. Because Pinterest is the place where you try new things and they're our partners. So every week we've been getting you to try a new thing using the hashtag WhatIfWednesday. And it's all about embracing small things that create big changes. It's really easy to join in. You can win some seriously amazing prizes if you do. Every week we give away three signed copies of the Girl Boss workbook by Sophia. And you can also win two free tickets to the next Girl Boss rally in March in LA. And all you have to do is ponder
0: this. What if you tried something new today to boost your productivity for the week? It's pretty simple. Just start your day with a soul smoothie, the perfect smoothie for you that nourishes you in the way you need the most. Take a picture of your favorite smoothie. I want to know what you're drinking and tell us what's in it. Use In the, in the comments section, tell us what's in your smoothie using hashtag what if Wednesdays, hashtag MyPinterest, and hashtag GirlbossRadio and you could win one of a signed copy of the Girlboss workbook. You could appear on girlboss.com. and remember Remember, two people are gonna get the chance to get free tickets to the next Girl Boss Rally. You know what my favorite thing is, Jericho? What? Pinteresting while drinking wine. Oh my god, same. I want to talk about Wink. So you guys have heard about Wink before. Wink is our favorite wine delivery service. It's spelled W-I-N-C and it makes it easy for you to discover great wine. So you take a quiz on trywink.com and Wink's Wine Experts will select wines that are matched to your taste, personalized for you, shipped right to your door, and it starts at only $13 a bottle. But because they're cutting out the middleman, you're getting bottles that are worth way more than $13. And there's nothing like coming home to a box of delicious Wink wines selected just for you. It's the day of my month I look forward to the most. I don't know about you. And the more wines you rate, the more personalized the wine selections get. And each month there are new delicious wines, just like their incredibly popular Summer Water Rosé, which you may have heard of. There's no membership fees, you can skip any month, you can cancel any time, and shipping is complimentary, so there's basically no reason not to try it. And if you don't like the wine, they'll replace it with a bottle you love, no questions asked. So discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash girlboss to get $20 off your first shipment. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot slash girlboss for $20 off. Trywink.com slash girlboss. And now, Aurora James. Through her brand, Brother Valleys, she's producing authentic, modern-day takes on traditional African desert boots, shoes, sandals, and accessories. She's creating jobs and opportunities for women and artisans around the world, and she's making our feet happy in the process. Here's Aurora. You grew up in Toronto. Yeah. But also Jamaica?
1: Also Jamaica. Also, like, a tiny town called Mississauga and, like, the east coast of Canada, New Brunswick. What did your parents do? So my mom and dad met in college. My mom is a landscape architect, and my dad was a doctor. He passed away when I was seven. And my mom decided she wanted to retire and move to Jamaica and, like, live that dream.
0: Oh, my God. So she retired and moved to Jamaica?
1: For, like, four years.
0: And then she was like, I'm done with the dream.
1: Right. Because it's not nothing is as it appears
0: I know I dream of that all the time and then I think it would last about yeah like two years and then I'd like have lost a bunch of momentum
1: right because what do you do no one would care about me anymore <laughs> yeah what do you do <laughs> so where did you guys move after Jamaica back to Canada yeah we moved back to Canada it was a it was definitely a huge culture shock for me Going there. Because it's like still the old system of education at the time. So if you like didn't know your times tables, they'll physically beat you with a belt. In
0: Jamaica? Yeah. Not
1: in Canada? Not in Canada. Wow. (laughs) Not that I know. Do
0: you know your times tables?
1: Yeah. Seven times eight is 56. Never going to forget that. (laughs) Yeah. I I know that. I still know that one too.
0: (laughs) When did you start working?
1: Like my very first job? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I created a babysitter's club in grade six. Cool. And I was like, how can I make money and not have to babysit? And so I just like hired a bunch of other girls to babysit and like designed pamphlets. Madam babysitter. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One time I had to babysit and it was an absolute nightmare. And I called my grandmother and I was like, I need your help. Please, a child won't stop crying. But then my first ever real job was like retail. Where at? Uh, Club Monaco. And then Guess, and then uh, a Canadian department store called Holt Renfrew.
0: Oh, yeah. I know yeah. about Holt Renfrew. Yeah. They're like the department store of Canada. Yeah, in Canada. Oh, my God. I just met Margaret Atwood. Oh, you did? She's Canadian. Oh, yeah. We love yeah. her. Yeah. She's a favorite Canadian. Oh, my gosh. For sure. Yeah. I sat next to her at this dinner, and I was like, I can't believe I'm I think sitting- I saw that on Instagram. next to this lady. Anyway, just- that's like the only thing I know about Canada.
1: <laughs> really? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I was like, what that about Justin proved. Bieber? Who? Oh, Bieber. <laughs> he's Canadian? Yeah, he's Canadian. Pamela Anderson's Canadian. Celine Dion's Canadian. Linda Evangelista. What happened to that fashion brand, that um, Aritzia? What happened to Aritzia? Is it gone? I don't know. They're Canadian, but I never hear about them also, anymore. Also, Lululemon yes. is Canadian. Yes. The guys from D Squared were Canadian.
0: The shoes that Brother Valleys puts into the world are bold and unique, just like Aurora herself the shoes are layered with the cultures she's explored influenced by her travels and her upbringing i asked her to talk about her creative process and how she knows when she's landed on the right piece for her collection
1: you know what i always loved fashion i whew, my mom my mom traveled really extensively and she always had this amazing wardrobe of like any everything and anything you could imagine like sequined like full dresses, like Python Gucci that was vintage and like moccasins and mucklucks from like Native American people and Danish clogs. And she always taught me about fashion as a form of cultural expression as well. Um, and so I was always, and, and she took it very seriously as an art. We always used to go to the shoe museum and like, I don't know, different like costume institutes and stuff. And and so I always had a great respect for fashion, but I never saw myself really being a designer I actually wanted to be in journalism and, like, make documentary films. Ooh. That was what I wanted to do. Did you go
0: to college for that? Sort
1: of. I, I went to my first year of college for advertising because I had to go for something. Because I dropped out of high school. My mom was like, unless you go to college, like, you are never going to see a penny from me ever again. And I panicked. <laughs> and so I was like, let me just enroll for anything. So I enrolled for advertising media sales. Like, Whoa. Um, and I think I did that for six months and then I transferred into fashion and then I tried to go to a four year for fashion and they wouldn't let me in because I had failed grade 11 math. So then I went to school for journalism and then I got kicked out after like second year because I failed everything.
0: Why'd you fail? Were you partying? What were you doing? I think too I just... busy at Club Monaco.
1: <laughs> no, I didn't even work at Club Monaco. I think I just... First of all, I was didn't understand anything that the professor was saying. And I was like, who really are you? The, I, I just didn't understand who he was and, like, why he was teaching me. And if what he was teaching me was even accurate. And, like, why do you want me to do this assignment? And what am I really supposed to be learning? I just had a tough time. Buying into that system and he was very set on this whole idea that like the Canadian journalism industry is not biased and I was like that's not true and like you cannot teach us that in journalism school because that's a problem and like I can't pay you to try to teach me that so I just became like really allergic to the system.
0: Were you always skeptical of authority?
1: Always, yeah. Because my mom would be like, why? Like, I would be like, can you pass me that chair? And she'd be like, this thing? And I was like, yes. And she'd be like, well, why is that a chair to you? And I'm like, because it has four legs and a back and you 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 sit on it. And she's like, but well, that's how you interpret it. That's deep. That's like, very much that'll like either
0: it. like fuck your kid's head up or uh-huh. make them think for themselves. And it sounds like it did the latter for you.
1: <laughs> a little bit so of A, good. a little bit of B. <laughs>
0: And so some of your early jobs were in fashion but in retail and now having your own line, you know, was there – what did you learn from that corporate training? You know, because I think a lot of people want to just go straight to the finish line where it's like I'm a fashion designer and not have experienced like what it's like to work in retail, or to be in different parts of the fashion industry. What would you say that those jobs taught you that you use today?
1: Well, I was a pretty hardcore intern. Like, I started interning, like, pre the Hills when no one else interned. And I was, like, 16 interning at Next Model Management because I just, like, wanted to learn what they did in modeling agency. And everyone was like, why do you want to work for free? And I was like, because I want to learn. So I think for me – having internships along the way and then having these like really intense female bosses also because I was an assistant for years um, was crucial. Totally. You can't just come out of the womb and be like, I know everything and I'm going to do this because mm-hmm. it's also disrespectful to the craft.
0: The first time we ever spoke was you emailed me. You worked at GenArt.
1: Oh, wow, yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I completely remember. You lived in L.A.? Yeah, I lived in L.A. What were you doing at Gen Art? Okay, so I moved to L.A. So I was living in Toronto, living my best life, and then I basically fell in love with someone who lived in L.A. and came here, like, on vacation to visit them and then stayed for three years. And so in the beginning I had no visa or anything. And... um. I used to go to St. Vincent de Paul in downtown LA and wait for like Citizens of Humanity and J Brand to do their like drops of their reject denim. And then I would repair them and sell them to Wasteland on Melrose. And that was how I paid my rent, which was $725 a month for like the tiniest apartment in Los Villas. And so while I had no visa, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go back to interning. So. I interned at Gen Art and then as soon as I got my visa, I left and like got paid and then they called me and were like, actually, can you come back? And we'll pay you and all that jazz. And then I ended up being the fashion director of Gen Art right before I started Brother Bellies. That's what I did.
0: How do you describe Gen Art for someone who hasn't heard of it?
1: So Gen Art is it's a not-for-profit arts organization that sponsors like designers, visual artists, um, cinematographers, all that jazz. So they did like Rodarte's first fashion show um, and Zach Posen's first fashion show. They were very successful in the 90s.
0: And you were the fashion director there? Yeah. What did you do as a fashion director there?
1: Trying to figure out, like, how to support fashion designers at the time and, like, what they needed in this very weird space. Because it was kind of the first time that brands were ever sponsoring, like, fashion programming. Kind of happened through Gen Art. I remember, like, yeah, there were some weird sponsors at different (sighs) points
0: i wonder what you reached out to me for i don't remember
1: no i think it was because i wanted nasty gal to actually like have a fashion show oh yeah because i found out you guys were making your own like
0: yeah stuff we never ended up doing we never did have a fashion show
1: fashion shows aren't necessarily a necessity do you show do you have shows you have presentations presentations i've had two presentations in the past when i was in the fashion fund and now we do not
0: Because it's too expensive. Yeah.
1: And it's like, it's not even just that. I think for me, a lot of designers feel like once you start showing, you can't not show. And so I didn't want to fall into that. So I wanted to show when I, I, I want, I want to show when I feel like the collection needs to be shown in that capacity. Cause it's a very like grandiose thing to do.
0: So did you always dream of, I mean, you were kind of always, always in fashion really from, I mean, next interning at next at 16 years old. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's hard to say working at Club Monaco was being in fashion, but mm-hmm. you were working in fashion retail. Yeah. So your whole career has been fashion. Was it Was that always your dream?
1: I mean, firstly, retail is really important because it lays a foundation of understanding that you have to sell product. And I talk to students all the time and I'll go to like Parsons or whatever and they'll show me these things that they're making and I'm like, but how are you going to sell that? (laughs) you know and then they just sort of look at me like oh my gosh like why is she asking that but it's real yeah you know like if you're gonna monetize your art you have to monetize you have to find a way to sell it so it's like it's amazing that you have like a purse shirt strapped onto yourself that's like sequined and like you know lights up but like who are you selling that to and what store is buying it so I think that that was a really good foundation of like no matter how like amazing, I thought something on the sales floor was, like all of those women that were coming in were 2,000% uninterested and just wanted a white blouse and black pants. So there's that sort of like pragmatic understanding of like high fashion versus what's actually selling. I've pretty much always been in fashion with the exception of when I took two years off and built school gardens. School gardens? Yes. For who? I worked with this company called Wooly Pocket. And I, oh, I, was like, I know about Wooly Pocket. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, I never, I was like, I'm leaving fashion. I just want to do plant stuff. And my mom was like, well, what kind of plant stuff? And I was like, I want plants to be all over my walls indoors. And she was like, well, you'd have to build a vertical gardening system. And like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ugh. And I talked to my boss at Jenner. And I was like, you know what? I love you guys. I think everything's great, but like, I really just need to devote some time in my life to plants because I feel really disconnected. I'm leaving and like, you for plants. Basically. And I was like, you know, Fashion Week was like, Ugh. and I was like, where are the plants? And he was like, it's very strange to you to say this to me because I know this guy who's, like, trying to do this vertical gardening system. So that's what I did. For
0: two years.
1: Yeah, probably, like, a year and a half.
0: For those of you listening, if you don't know what woolly pockets are,
1: (laughs) they're, what, they're, like, pockets that hang on your wall that
0: you can put a plant in that like water stays in yeah and but they do they also breathe somehow yeah you know all about this well I worked at a plant store once so like plants have to breathe (laughs) you have to assume that like they breathe
1: yeah okay so it's a vertical gardening system they're like these pockets that you put on the wall they're made out of recycled plastic water bottles and there's a liner on the back so your wall doesn't get wet but then there it's like breathable through the front so you put plants all over your walls
0: it's like a kangaroo pocket for a plant
1: absolutely
0: yeah I want to talk about like the conceptual versus the commercial because Uh I think that's a really important thing and a lot of people, a lot of girls come to me and say, what do you think about this idea or check out my product? And I think it's – some people just have the knack for it but then other people like really do have to learn like what is too out there for someone to – you know, want to buy versus, you know, okay, your idea is like really great, but like at the end of the day, is is it necessary? Is someone going to want to wear it? Yeah. Is somebody going to want to use this or incorporate it into their life? What advice would you have for someone who, you know, wants to make something that they think is really unique, but wants to also make sure that they can sell it?
1: I mean, the number one thing that you can do is just test the market. Like when I started Brother Valley's I had gone to South Africa, met guys who were making shoes, and I was like, how can we tweak this and make it, like, amazing so that you guys don't lose your jobs because they were all basically about to lose their jobs. So I took the money that I had, my woolly pocket money, and I, you know, bought, like, 50 pairs of shoes that I worked with on them, had them make, like, 50 pairs, and then I brought them with me back to New York, and I, I sold them at the Hester Street Fair, which is, like, a flea market. And that's just how you test something and you talk to your customers. It goes back to retail. It's like that was that experience where I was just like, okay, I'm going to put these on a table and sell them and see how it goes, you know. And if you have something crazy, I mean, we have amazing tools like Instagram now or like MySpace when you first started, you know, where it's like you can put something out there and see how people react and if they actually buy it, you know. Because it's like I see a lot of these bloggers and it's like, okay, I'm happy for you that you have like 80 million followers, but can you monetize those followers? Will they actually buy your product? I don't know.
0: I wonder how all of them are doing because there's so many of
1: them. I think it's like really varies. I think some of them can monetize and some don't.
0: Yeah. So tell me about the inspiration for Brother Valley. When did you get the idea? Where were you? Yeah.
1: Well, I was in Africa and I was like, you know, because my mom has this huge love of cultural apparel and so every time I traveled – I would always want to see what they were making and wearing and all that jazz. And when I first got to Africa, I was, like, mind-blown because everyone was wearing, like, old Ed Hardy. And everyone was dressing like David Beckham from, like, 10 years ago. And I was like, wow, this is incredibly jarring. Like, where is all the traditional apparel? And the more I dug into it, I realized that mainly American-donated clothing had actually killed all of their local manufacturing and taken all of those jobs away. Um so they were left wearing like our donated stuff and also they wanted to wear like whatever Kanye was wearing. And I was like, "Okay, but a lot of the traditional stuff that you guys make is like way cooler than what Kanye's already wearing and if he had access to it, he would wear it." And they were just like, "Uh, oh, like this girl's crazy." You know. And when I would visit the shoe guys and girls, they just were complaining about how no one was buying their stuff anymore. And I – this specific workshop was, like, you know, this great, cute workshop, and they were just, like, struggling to sustain. And I was like, well, I want to help you guys because I feel like what you're making is really cool. And it was this thing called a velly. And I was like, I think if we tweak it and, like, you know, use some different vegetable dyes to get different shades of leather – I think I might be able to, like, sell these to some people. And they were like, okay, well, we'll work with you if you buy, like, ten pairs. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's a big order.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. And so you said you went to New York. You went to the Hester Street Fair, mm-hmm. And what happened? What did you learn?
1: I learned that people ultimately shop based on what they think is cute. Okay, so you can have a great story like, okay, these things are made in Africa and, like, you know, by women who X, Y, and Z. And the story is great, but ultimately people want to know what they're buying is cute. So the product has to be king, you know, like the product has to be amazing. They have to feel great about it. And if you choose as a designer to make something in a way that also uplifts and empowers the world, then that's an added bonus. But you have to be doing that for you, not because you think that that's going to like help move product. And that's definitely, like, how we look at it, Brother Bellies.
0: What were your first steps? So you were starting a business, really. You tested the product. Inadvertently, yeah. Yeah. Where did you go from that street fair?
1: Well, the first time I went, this woman came and she was like, I'm going to buy these for my husband and tell me the story. And I was like, well, they're a traditional, you know, African shoe shape called a velly or as they call it, a felly. And, you know, Clarks basically came down and saw this shoe shape a long time ago and brought it back and... It's a desert boot, and they made a company called Clark's, but it's actually originally an African shoe shape. And you know, made by these people, and And she was like, "Okay, great, like I'll buy them." And then the next time I came back, which was like maybe a month later because I had more, she was like, "Where have you been?" And I was like, "Oh, just like at home." And she was like, "I want to, I want to buy more." My husband really loved them, and I was like, "Okay, great." And she was like, "Can you make a website?" And I was like, (laughs) "I don't know. It's Saturday, like I." And she was like, "I just need you to make a website by Thursday or Wednesday night." And I was like let me call my friend Duncan. I had this friend Duncan who lived in Toronto who was like literally like lived in a basement, played World of Warcraft, but sometimes did like internet stuff. And I was like, let me call my friend Duncan and like see what he can do. And she was like, just make a website and like send me the link. And I was like, okay. And then I like called him and he was like, okay. And made me like this really like, you know, really like basic website and I sent it to her on Wednesday and she was like thanks and then on Thursday morning she emailed me and she was like look at your shoes in the New York Times. Whoa. And I was like, Whoa. And then we sold out of those shoes online. Who is this woman? I don't know. I need to find her if you're listening. Oh my God. Yeah. Was she the sure writer? She wasn't the down. writer. She just yeah, said she, she was the writer. She was the, the writer. writer. Okay, I'm sure you yeah, could find it. Yeah, she a writer. Yeah, we can find it. Wow. Her.
0: Yeah. And so you sold out and then you were like, sold holy out. shit, I have to go back to Africa and get more shoes?
1: Yeah. Well, then I started doing pre-orders. So then people would like buy the shoes and it would say like six to eight weeks you have to wait and people were fine with that. And so that's how that happened. And so at what
0: point did you start thinking like, wow, this is a real business I need to find maybe some advice or investors or, like, what was the kind of moment that you feel like was really legitimizing for you as a designer? Yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, I did, like, development, like, just, like, trying to figure out what was going on in Africa and doing that, like, Hester Street Fair stuff for, like, you know, a year or two years before I actually started Brother Valleys. And I think for me, like, I didn't really legitimately, like, validate what I was doing as an actual business until I got into the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. Because even applying for that, it was, like, kind of crazy. Because it's like, okay, you're going to apply for the Vogue Fashion Fund and hope that, like, Anna Wintour is, like, yes, you're amazing. And then, like, gives you an award with, like, a bunch of money. Like, that's crazy. So I felt like I was jumping the gun by applying for sure. And my friends were like, I'm scared for you. But then when I got in, I remember them being like, so, like, do you think that you'll win? And I was like, what do you mean? I thought I just got in. And they were like, yeah, you're in the top ten, but you haven't won. And I was like, but this is the win, you know? Because for me at that moment, I was like, wow, like, I actually, like, took this idea, took these different things that people in Africa were making and believed in their, like, original artistry and craft And got it to be legitimized by the fashion community. And for me, that was like the goal. Because I just believed that what they were making was so amazing that it needed recognition. You know, it's like for years you see people like referencing Africa and then like making it in China or wherever. You know, these like weird African printed stuff. But it's like at what point do you actually involve the people who inspired the thing in the production of the thing?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen a lot.
1: No, almost never. So and that's like what I wanted to do.
0: Totally stolen. So tell me about applying for a CFDA award. Or just even membership. Yeah. Is it was it the same application? Just no, one application? It's
1: all different. There's like you you can apply for CFDA well, CFDA Awards you have to get nominated for, but the CFDA Vogue Fashion One you have to apply for, and then CFDA Membership you have to apply for, and CFDA Incubator you have to apply for. I've done many different CFDA programs. You've done all of them. I think I've done all of them except for Retail Lab because we already had a store. But I tried. I was like, come on, just let me do the Retail Lab. I want a free store. <laughs> um, they were like, you already have one. That's against the rules. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's actually a really crazy process if you ever want to see some crazy shit. It's like, go online and Google what designers do to apply for the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. It's really elaborate. It's really elaborate. Like, I remember when I was applying, someone was like, well... Pamela Love applied with a jewelry box and you open the jewelry box and there's a dancing ballerina on top and then in all the drawers was all this jewelry and in the bottom was like a bronze book with like all of her work in it. It was like panic fear. (laughs) (laughs) You know I was like a girl who just left the flea market like trying to figure out how to do this. So I obsessed over it and I worked with like one of my best friends who helped me do the layout of the book but It was just, like, all pictures I had taken from my time in Africa and, like, sort of what my dreams and goals were and, like, my sketches that were all on, like, different hotel letterheads because I was, like, traveling so much at the time. And then we put in, like, this giant wood box and I had, like, a stained glass artist create the logo of the brand on the top of the box. So it was, like, very elaborate.
0: Wow. Yeah. Inexpensive, probably. Yeah,
1: it was expensive. Having a book made, like, just, like, a big book was expensive and I had this whole thing where I was like I need a, the person who makes it to be the same person who makes like bibles like I wanted it to be constructed in a specific way Ooh. you know like because you get all like in your own head and you know that there's a chance that Anna Wintour could be seeing it so you're like I have to do the best version of myself you can't phone it in yeah
0: and so when did you find out that you won and how did you f- like what, what was that moment like
1: uh-huh. well there's a dinner and I, I was at the dinner I was just sitting there, and they they were like, this year, instead of having one winner, we've actually decided to have three winners, and they're each going to be getting $300,000. And and then my boyfriend looked at me, and he was like, oh, my gosh, babe, that's amazing. And I was like, this does not apply to me, because it's never, even in that whole time we were competing, literally, I promise you, Sophia, never at any point did I think I was going to win.
0: Why, did, why do you think that? Why do we do that to ourselves?
1: I don't know. But I just it, – it wasn't even that I was a downer. I was just so stoked to be included. Mm-hmm. Like I was like – I would like pop into the meetings and be like, hi, it's me again. You know, it was like I was like the one that slipped in somehow. <laughs> and like everyone else I, everyone else was like, you know, worked at like Lanvin or like was like whoever's assistant for years. And I was like I dropped out of like high school and then I got kicked out of college and like I – you know, like, found lived on couches in, in, in L.A. Yeah, and found some shoes in Africa. And, like, I'm, like, do my production via WhatsApp Messenger, you know? Wow. Don't have a fancy office.
0: So they announced it at the dinner.
1: Yeah, they announced it at the dinner.
0: Did you jump out of your chair?
1: <sighs> well, I was also very intoxicated because I was nervous. Oh, no. So it was like – I was sort of like, whoa, it just washed over me. And then I was like, oh, my gosh. It was so completely overwhelming. And then I had to say something – and I was just in a room with all of these, like, super, like, Ricardo Tishi from Givenchy had given God. me the award. He was, like, the oh one that called my name. And I was, like, oh, my gosh. And there was just all these, like, epic fashion designers in the room. So I just got up and I was, like, thank you so much. But, like, this isn't my award. This award is actually the award for people in Africa who've been, like, making these shoes and inspiring all of us for decades and decades and decades. And I only want to ask that, you know – when you guys are considering taking inspiration from Africa that you consider including them in the process, because without them, I wouldn't have been able to make any of this. And like, this belongs 200% to them, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was just like what I felt in my heart. Yeah. And then the next day I called my mom and I was like, mom, do you know that fashion competition I was doing? And she was like, yes, I do. And I was like, you're never going to believe it. And I was like, what? And she was like, I won. And she was like, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. And I was like, yeah, it's, I'm like over the moon. And she was like, I hope that it has freed you in a way that you no longer feel like your art needs validation from others. Did and it? I was like, yeah. No, I think it did.
0: So you you get a check for $300,000 and then what? You have
1: to start. You pay your bills <laughs> and then you have no money left. That's exactly what happens. Do you have investors? Do you no. have employees? No, I'm still running on my woolly pocket money. Oh my um,
0: god! What yeah, did you like really make a like a huge windfall of cash from Wooly Pockets? No,
1: I had thirty five hundred dollars. I started brother really with thirty five hundred dollars. My accountant's like, I used to say five thousand. My accountant was like, called me and was like, can we talk about something? And I was like, what? And he was like, you didn't have five thousand. You had like thirty five hundred. Wait, but like, t- okay. today, do you yeah. have a team? Uh, yeah, there's like four of us. Wow, that's that's really small. It's really small. It's painfully small.
0: We'll have more with Aurora James in a bit, but first I'd like to tell you a bit about my experience with ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates.
2: Then, ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches.
0: And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds
2: them for you. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place.
0: No wonder 80% of employers who post on
2: ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results.
0: And right now, listeners of Girl Boss Radio can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com/girlboss. That's Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R.com/girlboss. One more time to try it free: go to ZipRecruiter.com/girlboss. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So not only are you a a CFDA member, which is a big deal. I applied at the very tail end of Nasty Gal and I'm a member. And as long as I keep paying my dues, I'll always be a member, which is amazing amazing. because I'm not making clothes right now. But we'll see someday. You win the award, which is the most prestigious award for a young designer in fashion. Uh Uh-huh. And then there's an incubator.
1: Yeah, there's an incubator.
0: What is the incubator and what has that done for you?
1: I applied for the incubator actually before I applied for the fashion fund. And so I was the first person to ever win the fashion fund and then be in the incubator. So I sort of did it backwards. Triple threat. But no, I mean, it's good. Listen, there's this whole thing with mentorship where there's like this movement where everyone's like, oh, you need a mentor. Mentors, mentors. (laughs) And I'm like, well, the best mentors are too busy to mentor. You know, but so, but there's, there's great, men- listen, I have some great mentors. I do have to say Neil Blumenthal, Warby Parker, shout out to you. He's oh, been a great mentor. I love Neil. But yeah, I don't know. It's been a good experience. Hey, it's amazing to be like on a floor with a bunch of other designers and just like troubleshooting together. Yeah. Like one of my best friends, Thaddeus O'Neill. he's like across the hallway from me and he'll just come in and he'll be like, do you know how to like do blah, blah, blah and MailChimp? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, but like I can text like Ella who makes our newsletters and ask her, you know, it's like a collaborative space. How long have you been in the incubator? Like a year and a half. I How think long? we move out in the spring.
0: Brother Vellies has two specific goals to introduce Aurora's favorite traditional African footwear to the rest of the world and to create and sustain artisanal jobs in Africa
1: sustainability is a really interesting topic and I think that we approach it in a little bit of a different way like I obviously you know do a ton of production in Africa which is really important to me our number one selling shoe is a Burkina sandal and it's hand woven by women in Ethiopia who like actually made the thread that they're using to weave and vegetable dyed like all the colors with like different flowers and and all that jazz and Actually, it's woven in Burkina Faso, and then the fabric is sent to Ethiopia, where the women construct the sandals, and then they come to New York, where I then sell them. And so it's a process, and that, to me, is a very sustainable thing, because you have women who are doing what they are traditionally taught to do there, which is weaving and dyeing and working with cotton. We have, like, other sandals that are carved from, like, animal cow bone, like, beads, that are just, like, hand-carved. And so to me, that's also sustainable. We source, like, a lot of our leathers and furs from, like, local farmers in Africa who, like, have been farming for multiple generations, and that's where we get our leather and fur from. So it's, you know, funny because a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, fur is murder. And I'm like, well, technically, yes, an animal has to die, but it doesn't always mean that that's bad. Because if you are... In Africa, and you are living off of the land, and you are supporting your community, and you are eating a springbok, and you are able to also make money off of that fur of the animal that you just ate... Like, why would we expect them to throw it out instead? And a lot of times, like, tanning those animals is, becomes a women's responsibility, and you're providing an income for women in the community for the very first time. So I think with everything, we need to look at it with an open mind and a different lens, you know? Yeah. And that, for me, is really how I approach sustainability. It's like, who's making this? Why are they making it? Will it last forever? You know, yeah. like I don't have any and I have never seen any like archival vegan leather shoes like that's a plastic shoe. It's not going to live for that long. You know, why don't we just really respect the stuff that we buy and treat it well so it lasts a long time?
0: With fans like Kanye and Solange, Brother Valleys boasts quite a list of celebrity fans which has helped generate attention for the brand. But it's Aurora's commitment to creating and sustaining jobs in local communities in Africa that is most deserved of the attention and accolades she's received. Putting aside Brother Valleys, Aurora is incredibly honest about what it's like to run a business. I asked her to talk about some of the challenges she faces day to day.
1: The word failure is like a very big word for me and also mistakes because, yes, I make mistakes constantly. You do not get kicked out of high school and like find yourself ever in jail without having to like admit that you've made a mistake along the way. Okay, so let's just be clear about that. You've been to jail? Yes. Cool. (laughs) Failure is something that is finite. So I have definitely messed up on multiple occasions. Had I quit in those moments, that would have been a failure. When you keep going, you're still writing the story. So you're not failing. You're still turning it into a win. It's just chapters in the book. Mm -hmm. Failure is a finite thing. Don't let it be the end. Keep going. You know? And I think as women, we're so ready to be like, that didn't work. And, you know, it sucked. And so I failed. And it's like, no, you didn't fail. You like fell off the bike. You're getting back on the bike and you now know how to fall.
0: Mm -hmm. And And, you're going to do it again. Exactly. So get used to it. Yeah,
1: get used to it. Keep going. Be like honest about it. You know, like people in fashion have this whole thing of like, they never want to talk about anything bad. They never want to talk about anything that's not like luxury or like so elite and special and like da-da-da-da-da, you know? Like the concept that like, you know, I am not perfect is, like, somehow a stain on, like, the world. But I think that's actually, like, the beauty. And in 2017, like, we have to be honest about all of our mistakes. Like, dude, when am I not making mistakes? I'm always making mistakes. But that's, like, that's the process.
0: Do you ever feel, you know, you live basically inside the CFDA in a way? Mm -hmm, Like, just for the past year and a half. Do you ever feel, like, personally at odds with – the industry that you are building a business in. I mean – I feel like I've had that existential kind of just like, you know, not everyone in fashion is like lofty and Mm -hmm. weird. But like do you ever have those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure if these are my people or this is my – It's interesting when you find yourself like an invited guest at the table but then you're like, wait, this is what I wanted but – like, Why I have to separate still, right? myself from this scene right? because it's still not me,
2: right? you know?
1: I think for me, I sometimes will be in a space, like, I can definitely feel at home in a billion different environments. I think for me, sometimes I'll be in a space like, you know, if I'm in a room and it's, like, a fashion event or something and, like... Steve Madden's in that space and people like expect us to take a picture together or something and I'm like he knocked me off so badly like and like you know almost killed my company like how am I supposed to? this is not a kumbaya thing you know or like when we talk about Terry Richardson, when everyone was like all up in arms about Harvey Weinstein and I was like, right. But like, I'm pretty sure that I have like a magazine in front of me right now. And Terry Richardson shot this whole editorial. So the same people who are posting and are like, Oh my God, Harvey Weinstein, like, I cannot believe it are the same people that are also hiring Terry Richardson to shoot something after we already know what he's been doing to women for however many years. So I think for me, I'm like, how how can we be in a community and hold each other to a higher regard and not in a way where we're like, you're an awful person. In a way that it's like, why are we still making these choices? How can we like grow together? So I feel uncomfortable when I'm in a room of like things that don't necessarily feel like they sit right in like my soul and who I am as a creative person and who I am as a woman but I think that there's been like a lot of positive changes for sure. Yeah, a lot this year. You know, also like the whole concept of like slacktivism as well is like really difficult for me. Like if we're all like, you know, supporting Planned Parenthood, but it's like, what does support really look like? Like I need you to do something more than just like re Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Before she left, I asked Aurora to talk a bit about how she views success and what the word means to her.
1: People get like kind of irritated with me when I talk about what success looks like for me because I think for me it's so much about literally waking up every day and just feeling happy because everything that bothers you or upsets you or problems that you have are only going to become more magnified the more quote-unquote st- traditionally successful you become. So like if you have issues with who you are right now, the the version of you who has twenty million dollars in the future, all of those issues are gonna be amplified. You really have to like focus on who you are, identify your issues and like tackle those because You don't want to have all the everything and then be, like, sad because then you're literally on the top of the mountain e alone. Like, and then you're forced to have a moment of introspection. So it's, like, have those moments all along. Like, I genuinely can say that I'm a pretty happy person and I consider myself in the minority on that. And I think it's just because... like It's like how often a deep end go. i go. I genuinely feel like I have like an inner magic to me that like allows me to be happy and not take things so seriously all the time. Don't get me wrong. I stress out hard. But I know that what we're doing is not life or death. And I know that like I have my health. I know that my friends are healthy. I know that like – Things are changing and sometimes it takes bad things to make other positive things happen. But I feel my own relevance in the world every day by helping people through making these shoes, you know, Mm -hmm. even though it's like, oh, my God, they're shoes. Like, but we, you know, when you see women making them and actually being so proud and like. You know, the person who made the bag that, like, Beyonce wore. Like, that's major. Mm -hmm. You know, when Kanye came to our presentation, all the guys in Africa were like, whoa, (laughs) you know, like, that's major. That's when the win is, like, not about you. It's about other people who've been marginalized for so long. So it's like, you have to find what you have that can make you light up.
0: couple questions, just Mm -hmm. because you described the opposite of what I've done. Really? Which is
1: like, yeah, you find
0: yourself on the top, and you're you haven't done like the hard work of like f- figuring yourself out or dealing, taking the time and space. Because I started at 22 and just ran as fast as I could. Yeah. What are there any rituals that you have, or do you meditate? Like, what are the things that keep you happy? Are there grounding things that you do to make sure that you stay? Yeah. A pretty happy person.
1: I do this thing that is incredibly difficult for everyone around me, which is I'm over the top emotional. So if I'm sad, I'm really sad, hysterically crying. You will think that like something just crazy happened. But you know what? I let it out. I release it and I don't carry it with me. So whatever it is at that moment that's happening like everyone around me is feeling it to the nth degree because I don't put I don't like bottle it up and put it away. So I have to make time for like the emotions that I'm going through and I think because I am a very emotional person, I've had to deal with a lot of my emotional issues and like outputs along the way, you know. I was like divorced by 24 and like you know, ended an engagement again, like six years after that or something. So it's like I fall like, you know, when I love, I like really love when, when I'm like upset, I'm really upset when I'm passionate, I'm really passionate. Like when I'm pissed about, you know, Trump, I'm pissed. So it's like, I have to deal with that.
0: There's a quote I really love by Robert Anton Wilson, and I think it relates, and he says, you're precisely as big as what you love and precisely as small as what you allow to annoy you, which is like, if I never forgot that, it would...
1: That's so good.
0: changed my life. Last question. So we have something called Girl Boss Moments, which I apologize on every episode (laughs) for the name of it because it's just like there has to be like a cooler name. Mm -hmm. But it is what it is. Girl Boss Moment is a time in your week or month, just your most recent recollection of time that you took for yourself or time that you like plowed into your business or friends or relationships, whatever it may be that you felt like you were really – like in control of your life and doing something for you and for the right reasons, even mm. if it was for someone else. Yeah. Because we do things for other people for because we choose to and we do things for other people because they expect us to. What was your most recent girl boss moment?
1: Wow. The, I'm going to answer this in a two-part thing. Number one, on Friday, I have a final, this is like so silly but personal but like important to me. On Friday I have this final loan payment that I have this loan from when I first started Brother Valley's that I took out that was like a lot of money and I've had to pay it back every single day and it's like five hundred dollars and on Friday it's my very last payment. And so that's a huge celebration to me because for someone who like couldn't finish high school in a traditional way like to be able to do that feels like really adult and like maybe I could get a mortgage next. (laughs) It's like, who knows? The world is my oyster. But, you know, I would say for me, I'm definitely like a woman that likes talking to other women. And, you know, I have a very good friend who, uh, she's just like going through it and like having issues that like you wouldn't think are even still necessarily like possible, you know, dealing with like abuse and like like just crazy stuff and and I think that even in your busiest work moments, taking a time out and like talking to your friends when they're going through whatever they're going through and putting all of your work stuff on hold, even if it's like the sky is almost falling and knowing that like at the end of the day, your friends are like what's so important to you and to know that you like support them in those moments. And that's like more important than like some production problem that you're having, I think is like, cuz it's it's the human it's the humanity you know even like we're probably going to just like close off our website and our store and everything on black friday cuz i just think that that day is like really gross mm-hmm. for like shopping and like with the women's march on washington we like closed the store and everyone like that worked with me like piled into a bus and like you know went to the women's march on washington like i think those moments when you reaffirm who you are as a person even if it's to the detriment of your business is like a girl boss moment for me because it's like no matter what, I'm still gonna be me and do me, even if everyone else is telling me like not to. Yeah.
0: Like, Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much for listening to Girl Boss Radio. We'll be back next week.